0: Hello from sunny Portugal. I'm here for a couple of weeks and then afterwards I'm on to Dubai and India and then last but not least back in beautiful Singapore. Yes, it may be a summer break for many of us, but we're still committed to doing those daily videos that will help everyone understand the sometimes complex world of cross-border transactions as we and our team of tax advisors seek to demystify that's sometimes confusing. Well, my name is Darren Joseph. Please visit hdj.tax. Uh, we have over 1,000 videos, over 2,000 articles on completely free of charge on cross-border tax issues. Okay, today I want to talk about uh, an American expat in the United Arab Emirates in Dubai. And I, I just need to make that clear that Dubai is a part of the United Arab Emirates and it sounds pretty basic if you know that, but a lot of people don't understand. So UAE is made up of seven Emirates, the most popular, which is Dubai. So anyway, so he was this US expat. He was living in the Gulf area. So between Dubai and Qatar for a six year period. Right now, I I really think that this is an important story because we've been doing uh, business in the Gulf for quite a few years now. And it is so common, especially because it's tax free because it's income tax free. Some people ask, well, you know, there's no official pay slip. I don't file a tax return. So how is the government going to know? Suppose the U S government going to know what I'm actually earning. Well, here's an example of what could go wrong if you try to take shortcuts. So that's why I just wanted to call this one out. Okay. So, so, so yeah. So this case is the United States versus Peter J. Tignini. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Anyway, so in summary, the government is charging this individual who worked in the UAE and Qatar with willfully attempting to evade taxes in violation of Section 7201 by doing three things. One, he had his employer deposit his income in foreign accounts, to, which is not a crime, but it's in combination, right? So one, uh, have an employer paid into a foreign account, one, bank accounts in the Gulf, two, filing false tax returns, and three, creating and submitting false documents to the government when, when questioned about his, his tax returns. So anyway, so in terms of details, so the, the Peter J. Tignini, so this, the, this individual, he worked in the UAE between 2012 and 2018. So, so that period, now during the years, 2013 to 2018, he earned, I mean, it varies by year. So I guess he's on some sort of incentive scheme. So, on the low end, it was about 500k, on a high end about 1.2 million. So, roughly about 4.8 million in the entire six-year period between 2013 and 2018. So, basically, the type of clients that we would deal with on a day-to-day basis—you know, six, seven figures, sometimes eight figures, right? So, he made about 4.8 in the period in question. So, the the thing is that he did file tax returns, but allegedly, because of course this case is ongoing, so allegedly he underreported his income. This is something that. We, you know, unfortunately, we're aware that some people do. We do not. Once someone wants to take those shortcuts, we simply refuse to deal with them, and we walk away. So anyway, he allegedly reported his income, so it's staying within the, uh, stayed under the the section 11 uh, foreign income exclusion limit. So basically, he was filing false tax returns, which showed that he owed he owed no income tax because he was earning within the foreign earned income uh, exclusion threshold. So this is between 2013 and 2018. Now, he was questioned about it in 2020 by the IRS Criminal Investigation Unit. If you've never heard of the IRS CI unit, uh, you need to know who they are. So here's some fast statistics from their report for 2022. So the CI unit executed 1,210 warrants and referred 1,837 crimes for prosecution. And they had a 90.6% conviction rate with 1,564 convictions. So I've been monitored. I mean, everyone who's in our practice, you know, in our line of work, we will monitor what they do. 90.6, that's on the low end. There have been years when they've gone as high as 97, 98% conviction rate. So basically, once they knock on your door, they probably, you know, there's a high probability that you would, uh, you know, be found guilty. So anyway, then knocked on his door in 2020. In 2021, he allegedly used some sort of computer software application to create or alter documents, which would include, uh, falsifying pay slips as well as falsifying his employment contracts. So he was just again, create context. He was working in the Gulf, but his employer, his ultimate employer was a U.S. company. So yeah, these falsify these allegedly. Fraudulent documents were submitted to the IRS in 2022 via his lawyers, between the legal team. And now here we are in August 2023, when he's being charged with violations under Title 26 of the United States Code Section 7201. So we don't know what the details are, obviously. It's, It's still under investigation. But one can speculate. People ask me this all the time. Okay, I'm working in Dubai. I'm working in Abu Dhabi. I'm working in Qatar. There's no... Okay, if there's no income tax, I'm working in Saudi. If there's no income tax, therefore I'm not filing a tax return outside, how does the IRS know how much I earn? It could be a number of ways, and, and we discussed that you know in other videos that the IRS uses a company called Palantir, who, uh a quite high profile technology company that works for the NSA. So basically, they know a lot about you. Chances are they know more about you than you know about yourself. But anyway, one of the easiest ways I would imagine the IRS can cross-reference is via bank accounts because most banks in the world, including jurisdictions that you would not have imagined like China. So basically... Most jurisdictions aside from, let's say, in North Korea, Iran, Cuba kind of thing, they have signed bilateral agreements with the U.S. under what is called FATCA, the Financial Contracts Compliance Act, which despite common misconceptions is not a tax, it's a framework for information exchange. So what these, what these countries that have signed this bilateral agreement with the U.S. have agreed to do is waive their local bank secrecy laws and empower and mandate that their domestic financial institutions, not just banks, financial institutions in general. So like, like insurance companies, brokerage firms, any domestic financial institution is now required by law to go through their books, to go through the list of account holders and anyone they suspect. So, you know, right now when you're onboarding with a bank, they ask you where you tax exposed. Many of us, you know, we all have multiple citizenships. We're international. We're living that lifestyle, right? So sometimes we attempted to use our non-US passport to open an account. Bear in mind that there are a number of industries aside from what the the nature or the nationality of the identity document that you present to the bank. So when you're boarding when they're boarding you, so if the bank suspects that you are U.S. exposed, even though you may deny it in filling out their paperwork, but you know you might do a W eight instead of a W nine, whatever the case may be, even though you deny it, if they suspect, they are required by law. To report you if you if you, you know if you're flagged because of one of the other industries. There, I mean, in the in the factory agreements, I think there's a minimum of seven or eight, but most banks have more than that. So they're looking for any hint, and they would rather err on the side of caution. It's nothing for them to report you as being U.S. exposed, even if they can't. Even if there's some elements of doubt, they err on the side of caution. It makes sense, right? Because after what happened to those banks in Switzerland, <laughs> most international banks are, are really. So they don't want to mess with the U.S. government. So it is possible that the bank reported your account, uh, reported this taxpayer's account activity. We don't know, but it is possible. And if the account issued fluctuations way in excess of what he's reporting on his tax return, obviously, the IRS is going to ask questions. So in this day and age when technology is... At the fingertips plus there has got a, a pretty big bump in their budget last year, as, as we all aware that, at $80 billion or so. So they have a lot of ammunition to go chasing after people who are not doing the right thing. It's just not worth, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. And even if you use, okay, so the IRS is also big on something called enablers. So if you're using a tax team that take shortcuts. Maybe they didn't take a shortcut with you on that particular year and they reported everything accurately, but if they're known for taking shortcuts and they work with other clients and they, the the other client gets caught, the government wants to check who did the tax return, who signed off on that tax return because they're looking for a pattern of behavior. So my point is if you're using a tax team that works with, you know, people who want to take shortcuts, even though you don't take shortcuts, you may be flagged for an audit. I mean, you have nothing to hide because you did the right thing, but an audit is a really, it's an unpleasant experience. Somebody wants to do that if they have a choice. So again, choose your task team wisely. Choose teams that are squeaky clean and unknown for running in a completely opposite direction when someone wants to take shortcuts. So the moral of the story, guys, just do the right thing. My name is Darren Joseph from HG.Task.